You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. Hey, Faith got one of them, but there's two rows right here where all the kids left that you could actually lay down. It's like getting, you know, four seats on an airplane all to yourself. Uh, There's a lot of uh, room up here. And so, anyway, there it goes. (laughs) A very warm welcome to you all again. And if you are newer to Westside, if you've never been here before, or it's your first or second time or something, uh, we really appreciate you guys coming here. I want to thank you for making the effort to come out. It's, uh, it's not easy checking out a new, newer church, and uh, so we appreciate that. Um, one more announcement that was not on the newsreel, because I wanted to talk about it for a second. This afternoon and next Sunday afternoon is Westside 101, and so this only happens a couple times a year, and this is the closest thing we have to a membership class. If you feel like God might be calling you to make Westside your church home, this is the class you want to be in. If you haven't been there in years and years, it's probably a good time to go and take a refresher course. Uh, There's still time to sign up today because we're not starting until this afternoon at 3. And it goes by really quick. There's breaks, it's interactive, and then we have a meal at the end. That's all part of it. It's part of our values here of building strong relationships. And so uh, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. There is child care, but please, please, please let them know. Uh, who you're bringing, and so that they can prepare for that, um, even though it's the last minute. So thanks for that. We're in our series on Romans, and this is week number six, and uh, I'm looking forward to preaching again today. I love uh, to be able to preach uh, the Word of God to you. It's a, it takes a little uh, more preparation time. I have never preached through Romans before, and so I've really been enjoying uh, going through the resources that I have. Uh, different versions, different study Bibles, different uh, commentaries and things like that, and uh, a couple extra books. So, Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts today. Pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth, just like you said you would. Father, we purpose before you, those of us who call you by name, who call ourselves Christ followers, Christians, I pray that we would go home different than when we came today. A little more like Jesus, a little more knowledgeable in your word, a little bit uh, more dealings of you in our lives that we've allowed you to work through. And for those that are searching and asking questions, God, I pray that you'll answer some of those questions today and that you'll answer the most important question of all is, who is Jesus and what do I need to do about that? And so, Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we go through this next portion of Scripture. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 So, all right. This is going to be fun. Are you guys ready? Uh, It is October now, and the weather is a little bit cooler. We ordered that for you just so that you can kind of get in the swing of of fall. And uh, so some of you enjoy that. Some of you are wishing for summer already, counting the days till uh, June. And so, uh, particularly kids who are in school. So um, we're we're in a, a, a beginning of... Romans is a little bit tough for some people because it's very truth-filled and it's very hard-hitting. And you got to understand that God loves you. That's the highest value here. So when you love somebody uh, enough 
to tell them the truth, they should appreciate the fact that you're a friend that loves them enough to tell them the truth. A lot of friends we have are very superficial, tell us things that we want to hear. Uh, But Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, sometimes you need to be told the truth, and sometimes it feels like getting smacked upside the head. Uh, But you... When you recover, when the stars go away, you go, ah, thank you. Actually, I needed that. And many of you can recall instances where you had a friend or a parent or a sister or a brother, uh, somebody who spoke hard truth to you, and you learned from it, and you grew from it, and you thanked them afterwards. And so this is kind of a very uh, deep theological expose at the beginning of Romans. It gets very practical at the end. Uh, But there's a lot of stuff here where you might feel like you're getting slapped upside the head and then you got to go, oh, you know, thank you, Lord, because that's an attitude that was slipping uh, that I needed to adjust. And so I appreciate uh, your truthfulness. Remember, Romans is about the gospel and the gospel is about Jesus. And so the section we're going to get into today ends with the verse that God uh, shows no favorites. God has no favorites and he shows no favoritism. How many of you were the one kid in class that was the teacher's favorite? Anybody honest enough? Raise those hands up high. All right. You were the one that we were all mad at all the time. Made us look bad, all right? So, no, good job. Uh, Nobody minds favoritism when they're the beneficiary, right? When it's happening to you, you go, oh, thank you. Uh, you know, training your kids to, you know, a portion out, you know, when you got to split that Coke, me and my brother, it took him a few years to catch on and he goes, they're not quite the same. So I go like this. Okay. Are they the same now? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, like that. And I go, okay, let's split it. But after a while he caught on and my dad caught on and he goes, okay, Steve, you split it. And Paul, you get to take which one you want. So then you're like, you're microscopically accurate here and making sure that you're not showing any favoritism or being fair. And the the reason is, is because one of God's great attributes is he's just. He's eternally just. And so uh, let's get into what the Bible says here. As Paul's speaking to a very diverse group of people, he's writing his letter to Rome. Uh, The church in in Rome uh, was made up of rich and poor, male, female, Jewish, Gentile, all everything in between, uh, free and slave. And uh, so uh, this was the audience that Paul was speaking to, although he had never been there. And so he was writing uh, this letter to them. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul throws a bucket of cold water right in their face. If you recall last week, the chapter, end, chapter 1 ended off with a big list of wickedness, envy, Hatred, murder, bitterness, disobedience to parents, sexual immorality, all that big list of things. And Paul is actually reeling people in here who particularly are religious. So people who are religious and tend to judge others uh, through religious eyes, he's reeling you in because you're starting to nod your head like this. And yeah, those wicked people. And then he starts out chapter 2 like this. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same 
things. And we know that God in his justice, that's our first point today, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Tolerance and tolerance is a big word in our culture nowadays. I want to say this. There is nobody in the universe more tolerant than Almighty God. He is the one who loves everyone just as they are and reaches out to them. Like we said last week, nobody is in such sin that they are beyond the love of God. Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But He will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All right? That's quite a hard-hitting passage. I, uh, toward the end of the, of the talk today, I, I wanted to insert a, sort of a funny one-liner, but it's not really appropriate then because it's, it's a real serious part of the sermon, so I can't tell a joke at that part, right? So I'm going to tell you now, and then when I refer to it later, you'll know what I was talking about. So here it is. I want you to laugh, all right? The Thursday night service laughed louder than the first service this morning. So I want you to laugh louder than the Thursday night service, all right? For those of you who get it, anyway. Five out of six scientists say that Russian roulette is safe. All right? So some of you are still going, that was funny. Uh, that was a joke. So it's a one-liner. I'm going to refer to Russian roulette uh, later in the, in the thing, but it's too serious right then. So I want you to just warm up uh, because we'll see what God has for us. Because truth, truth doesn't have to be boring, right? It can be hard-hitting, and we can uh, enjoy God's uh, wondrous goodness in all of that. So first, God is just. That's our first point today. Uh, there's nobody, nobody more just than God is. You're created in God's image. So His justness is stamped on your heart. That's why kids grow up saying, that's not fair. All right? This justness is in all of us. And so when somebody crosses you, uh, when somebody breaks into your house and steals your stuff and then they get caught and then you go to court and the judge says, oh, you know, they didn't really mean to. Let's just let them off this time, even though they're a repeat offender. Your heart is going to cry out, I want justice. 
All right? And so we demand that kind of justice we see. Uh, the younger generation right now is rising up and saying there's a lot of things that aren't right in this world and let's stand up for justice. Let's stand up uh, for what's right. And by the way, young people, I want to say this, that justice without Jesus is an eternal injustice. Always make sure that Jesus is the center of your justice. And it's not like, um, ha, 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 you're going to get it, that kind of justice we want to inflict on people. But it's like this innate sense of fairness and justice that God put in you. And you go, hey, I want a fair shake here. I I want justice. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul cried out for justice when they had him flogged without a trial. He didn't just walk away. He said, no, actually, those guys can't just kick me out of town. I want the city officials to come up in front of me and apologize to me personally. I want some justice here. There's nothing wrong for standing what's, uh, uh, for what's right, always in an attitude of humility, of, of course. But here's the thing is that human judgment is based on prejudice and partial experience or perception, whereas God's judgment is based on the whole truth, the big picture. We don't always see every side of the picture. And guaranteed, the older you get, you know that for one story, there's always another side of the story. And so God in his uh, infinity, he knows all these things. So his justice is based on the big picture, not our little perception of it. We only know in part, but God knows fully. And our judgment of others isn't perfect, and our judgment is only in part, but his justice is perfect, and his justice is impartial. That's the great thing about that. So that being said, the Bible says this, that all people, not just some people, but all people are without excuse. Because all people, without exception, have sinned against God. Now this uh, universal statement of all of mankind in the first few chapters of Romans here is going to come over and over and over. Everybody has sinned. And everybody has sinned. And we all have fallen short of God's glorious ideal. So God's not really condemning people in this first part of the chapter uh, because they judge others as much as he's condemning them because they're doing the very same things that they're judging others for. So we can often see the splinter in someone else's eye, uh, but we can't see the log in our own eye like Jesus said. Now, when Jesus said that, it was a joke, all right? So you had to live in first century uh, Middle East culture to understand that Jesus was telling a joke here, all right? It's like going to the fireplace, getting a big old log, strapping it to your head, walking around and seeing if anybody notices. (laughs) Patrick, who used to be a pastor here, they planted a church in San Jose, he did that once. He just walked in, put a big log right here. And he started walking around telling people, "Um, you have a splinter in your eye. And their response is, uh, you have a log in your eye. All right, so that's what Jesus was saying. We judge others when we're guilty of the same things or actually sometimes much worse. So yes, we can speak out against sin. And yes, we should speak out against sin in the church, particularly when it's ongoing, when it's unrepentance, when it's forced upon, when it's an agenda. I spoke about that last week. By the way, if you didn't hear that, please listen to that. It was probably the most difficult sermon that I've ever preached, and I wanted to preach it faithfully without compromising the truth of God's Word. Today isn't nearly as difficult. This is probably the 65th most difficult sermon I've ever preached today. So, Oh, come on! That was funny. 
That was way better than the five out of six scientists one. All right? Okay. So, we can speak out against sin, but we do it in humility. We really do. Never in a self-righteous way. Never in that kind of attitude. Number two, God is kind. Uh, Some of the other versions say here, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. So Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does it mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So God is actually kindly, in His kindness, He's holding back judgment on us. His kindness leads us to repentance. So, and this judgment is based on what we do. You'll see here a lot where we are judged according to the things that we do, the works that we do. Uh, but you might remember last week, back in verse 17 of chapter 1, Paul said, the, this good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it's through faith that a person has, uh, a righteous person has life. So last week... We, Paul says it's faith that saves us. And right now he's saying you're saved by doing good works. Which is it? Sometimes we get hung up on those things where if we look a little deeper, we'll find the answer. John chapter 6, Jesus said this. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. All right? So the first good work that we do is we believe. We place our trust in Jesus. We believe in the one uh, that he sent. So the work God wants is to find our salvation from God by believing in Jesus and make him the very center. So the gospel message is that we first believe. Then we respond. We respond with right living. So good works that Jesus is talking about is first a belief in and placing our trust in, turning our life over to Jesus, and then we respond. So a great example in the New Testament is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short little guy. He was Jewish, and his people couldn't stand him because he was a tax collector. So Rome had occupied Israel, conquered Israel. They were oppressive rulers. If they didn't like you, they would crucify you or put you in jail or rip you apart from your family or from your church. And they would do uh, horrible things. So they were oppressing the Jewish people. And so um, Rome collected taxes. So they got Jewish people to collect taxes for the Romans. Well, the other Jewish people didn't like that much, particularly since the tax collectors would often collect more and pocket the difference. So they were very corrupt. It would be like the cross between a mafia boss and an IRS agent today. You know, that's, it was really bad, and they were considered traitors uh, to their country. And so Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Jesus was coming to town. He lived in Jericho. So there was a big, huge crowd there, and Zacchaeus was short, so he climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus and the whole throng of of the crowd is going under the tree, and Jesus stops, and he goes, Zacchaeus, what would you do if Jesus walked in here right now and he's called you by name? That'd be, he'd go, I don't know if he said anything. Scripture doesn't say. Jesus said, I'm going to your house for lunch today. So Zacchaeus climbs down, goes to the house, makes preparation, and then 
Jesus is inside with tax collectors and he was accused of eating with tax collectors. That's where that stuff comes from. Of course, the religious people, the righteous people would say, uh, you know, that's a bad thing to do. You don't hang out with those kind of people. But Jesus hung out with everyday people uh, because that's who he came to love on and to share the good news with. But there's something very interesting. The scripture doesn't tell us anything that Zacchaeus said. I'm sure he said, welcome, come on in. Do you want, you know, I was going to say ham and cheese, but they wouldn't have had ham and cheese. Do you want, you know, <laughs> mutton and cheese? Do you want, you know, whatever? And so I'm sure he said something, but in scripture, the first word that's recorded is Lord. Zacchaeus says the word Lord. I personally believe that's the shortest sinner's prayer in the Bible is Lord. Because when you understand that you're talking to Almighty God and you say Lord as in King, you're willingly stepping off the throne of your heart and inviting Him to be King, inviting Him to be Lord. And from that moment on, you're never the same again. That happened to Paul on the road to Damascus when he was knocked to the ground. He was blinded for three days. When he got up, after he encountered Jesus, he was never the same again. He, he preached Jesus. He preached the gospel until the day they cut his head off. So Zacchaeus is here and he says, Lord, half of what I have, I'll give to the poor. And if I've stolen anything from anybody, I'll pay him back four times as much. You know, when I was in fifth grade doing arithmetic, I'm going half of his stuff is gone. Now, four times what he stole, but he stole everything. That's like everything. Yeah, he pretty much blew up his 401k. And you know what? Tradition tells us that Zacchaeus went on to serve Jesus and planted churches all up and down the coast, the Mediterranean coastline, and served him for the rest of his life. He's never the same again from the moment he turned his life over to Jesus. And that's an authentic encounter. And it's God's kindness that is waiting for people to say, Lord, I want to turn my life over to you. And point number three out of this section, the day, the day is coming. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we don't want to fool ourselves here. Every single human being has a date with the tax man, a date with the dentist, and a date with eternity. You have a date. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. The Bible's very clear that the day of the Lord is the day you meet Jesus. So if you die before the rest of us are taken up, when Jesus returns, that's the day of the Lord for you. Because it's eternity, it's probably the same time, but I don't want to get into fourth dimension physics. And so we don't know about that. I don't want to get sidetracked. That, was, that could be really fun. So we don't know when the day is, but there's going to come a day when you see Jesus, when you meet him. And when that day comes, boom. It's what you made before that day. It's what The moment that Jesus comes back, it's whatever decision you made before then. You don't make the decision after. The people who went to the ark, when Noah was in the ark, God shut the door. Noah preached for 120 years. And he wasn't a very good preacher, evidently, because he didn't get any converts. 
He got his wife, his kids, and their husbands. That was it. Eight people went in the boat. And, and there's no more. After that, the judgment. And we must understand that there will come a judgment. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. He said, No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven are the son of are the son himself. Only the Father knows. So if you hear somebody on the internet say, This is the seventeenth blood moon in twelve days, and you know, we got a black moon and a red moon and a you know, all this stuff. So Jesus is coming back tonight at 10.32 p.m., you know, like this. You, you know that Jesus just called him a liar because nobody knows. Even the Son doesn't know. Only the Father knows. Nobody knows the day or the hour. We do know the times or the seasons. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. This is what the season and the time will be like. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. So Jesus said when he comes, it's going to be the same way as Noah. So that means right up until the day Jesus comes, people will be enjoying banquets and parties and weddings, business as usual. One of the other gospels says buying and selling, business as usual until Jesus comes. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. Jesus is telling his people, those willing to listen, watch. Be expectant. Be waiting. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So there's no judging here, but Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And sometimes we live our whole life for the here and now instead of living our life as believers for eternity. So, by the way, we're also instructed to meet together as the day is approaching. The Bible says that the day is a great and terrible day. That means it's great for some and terrible for others. It's a great and terrible day. And so we're in Hebrews 10.25, it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. That means don't forget to meet together like some people are doing. All right? Don't forget. And then it says, But you come together and you encourage one another. And you spur one another along toward love and good deeds. But even more so as the day, there it is again, is approaching. So if the day is approaching, because we see the signs that Jesus spoke about that are happening, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the seasons. And it appears most people would agree that Jesus is coming back soon. And even if he doesn't, we live like he is. Because he's coming back soon. Because people are dying every day. In fact, in the United States right now, about once every two to three seconds, somebody dies. Boom. 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 Slipping into eternity. That's the day of Jesus for them. And someday it's going to be our turn. It's going to be my turn. It's going to be your turn. 
Nobody makes it out of planet Earth alive. And so this is what he's saying. The day of the Lord is coming. So back to the kindness of God in our thinking, sometimes we expect punishment and consequences to follow immediately after sin. You sinned against me. Stand back because God's lightning bolt is coming on you right now. Have you ever thought that? Uh-huh. Somebody says something, you go, whoa, I'm standing back here. But it says God's kindness. Sometimes we view that kindness as a delay or maybe he forgot. Or sometimes we're, we're um, tempted to say, oh, God must be approving of me. I'm sinning and there's no consequences. We expect it to be immediate. And uh, Jesus said about the blind guy, they asked him, who sinned? Why is he blind? And Jesus said, this man didn't sin and his parents didn't sin. He was blind so that the glory of God could be revealed. How would you like to be the blind guy? Thanks. You couldn't have chosen him, you know, like you chose me. I had to live 40 years blind like this. But I'll tell you what, that guy, whatever his name is, Henry or something, his name, he's in heaven now and his story is in the Bible. And he says that time of blindness led so many people to Jesus and comforted so many people when they were going through tough times that that he's more than happy to trade that for that. Does that make sense? God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so if, if people really were instantaneously punished like we want them to be, but God's kindness, he delays that. If people were instantaneously punished like we would want them to be, most people wouldn't live long enough to repent. Like, (laughs) all right, I told a lot. (laughs) Like this, you're gone. You can't even repent. You're gone. Like that. Or I I robbed a bank. (laughs) Like this, you're gone. So God's kindness delays that so that we can come to repentance. That's what the message is here. The Life Application Bible Commentary says, consequences occur frequently enough and intensely enough to work alongside God's patience to bring us to repentance. So God's kindness is here. He's patiently waiting. But far too many people live their lives playing the play now, pay later plan. Expecting that they can slip in right before the day comes for them. The day of eternity. But none of us know the day. We don't know when that will come. That's like playing. Here it comes. Russian roulette with God's eternal justice. Please, please, please don't make the mistake of thinking that God's patience is His approval for your wrongdoing. Please don't do that. You don't know. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord, there it is again, the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying, Everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. 
We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Let me just re- read that again for all you midnight gamers. All right? For children, you are children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness or the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. So we're going to meet God face to face. We are going to see Him. Not as we think He is, but as He is. Eternal, holy, righteous, awesomeness. It's, it's just unbelievable how He is. Not just what we think He is. He's way more than we could ever even comprehend or understand. And He's infinitely holy compared to our sin. That's a big deal. So God is just. There will come a day. There will come payment and penalty. But He's kind. He's delaying that so that people have time to repent. And that day will come. So how do we apply it? What do we take this home uh, what do we take home with us today? Number one, or there's, there's only one point here. Keep on. Keep on. That Greek word there is stay steadfast, be constant, endure, persevere, stick to it, continue on. So that's what that is. Verse 7, He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. So keep on, number one, doing good. His children are faithful in doing good works. There's this thing. Just keep on doing good works. Remembering that those don't save you, but that's the response of believing Him first, and out of that comes uh, a response of fruitfulness and good works. Um, Matthew 5.16, Jesus says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I just love that. Because you, are, you have a light and you let it shine before people. People cannot see your heart. God sees your heart. So you might be clear with God, but you may not be clear with people and you may not be representing Jesus because they can't see your heart. They can only see what you do and what you say. So it's like holding a big mirror. It's like a big square mirror. And you're zoning in on the sun and then you're reflecting it to your world to your sphere of influence. And you're representing not yourself, but you're representing Jesus to the world. You're letting your light shine. And you're doing that through the things that you say, the good works that you do, the generosity, the love, the the patience, the kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, the gentleness, the self-control, all these things flowing out to the world. The mercy heart of God being applied to your neighbors and those people that you think God should strike with a lightning bolt. And they'll give glory not to you, but to the Father. If you want the glory for yourself, then you're not reflecting Jesus. You're reflecting yourself. But if you're pointing all the glory and honor to Him, you're doing what He said there. And keep on what? Number two, keep on pursuing Jesus. Keeping your eyes on the prize. And the prize is Jesus. Running this race, running this the, the life before us uh, that God has set for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, but now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He kept his eye on the prize. The, his, the prize was not being tortured or have the sin of the world put on him. He kept his eyes on the prize. A couple years ago when I ran the marathon here in Sacramento and training for it, the training was the killer. I did... Uh, 799 miles in training. 
the, the marathon was just a piece of cake compared to the training. But when you go week after week after week, and Saturdays were the long runs, and pretty soon you have, you know, 8 miles, 10 miles, 14 miles, 14, 14. And when is this 14 going to end? Then it's 16, 16. And then it gets longer and longer. There was about seven weeks in a row that I ran a half a marathon or greater every Saturday. And so on in my mind was the prize. The prize over and over and over. Thousands of times I saw the prize that was running through the finish line at the end of this race. Why in the world I did it, I don't know, but I did it. And I wanted to get this thing accomplished. And so on that day in December of, you know, a couple years ago, whatever. And, and so my, my son and daughter agreed to train and they ran with me. And so the picture I have of going through uh, the finish line with my son there by my side. That was the prize that I had seen thousands of times already. So when you see Jesus face to face, you're going to say, I'm here because I've seen you were, you were the prize that I had in mind all those years. And it was worth it. The race was worth it. And so... Philippians 3, Paul says this. He's talking about himself. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul gives us an exhortation. Quit looking behind. Quit looking backwards. It's so sad to me that people who should be going through life looking forward, expecting, keeping their eyes on the finish line, they go through life looking backwards, Oh, I didn't have this opportunity. Oh, I didn't have this. Oh, I didn't get what they got. Oh, I didn't have this. Oh, I didn't, you know. Or sometimes people walk backwards saying, Oh, remember the day when I had the winning touchdown in high school 80 years ago? You know, and they just live in the past. Remember that 14-pound trout I caught? You know, it's just just backwards. Instead of living your life going forwards. You cannot change the past. Even one minute ago, you can't change it. All you have to do is to look forward and keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul told the Ephesians, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not our own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So representing Jesus, don't give up doing good. Don't give up uh, keeping your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up pursuing Jesus. Keep those things in the forefront. And so that's the gospel. And the gospel shows us the proper sequence for this is, is we respond to him, we believe in him, we trust him, we make him Lord. And then out of that flows the good works and the representing him and the representing the generosity in this world, telling people the good news of Jesus. We don't serve him so he'll love us. We serve him because he loves us. And there's a big, big difference. I want to encourage you 
keep your eyes on Jesus. I want to encourage you. Keep doing good. And the first good thing you do is believe in Jesus. And the rest of the good things you do is because of that belief in Jesus, you uh, represent him in your sphere. Amen? Some of you have been Christ followers for a long time. I want to encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because out of gratitude and gratefulness for his mercy will flow a life that can make a difference in the people around you. And if you're still searching, maybe you don't know that you're a Christian. Maybe you're not sure. You can be sure today. Don't leave today without being sure. You can say in your heart, Lord, and mean it, putting him on the throne, realizing that he's forgiven your sins. Walk in forgiveness. Walk with a clean heart, representing him. We'd love to pray with you afterwards if you would like prayer for anything. Maybe just between you and the Lord. Please don't leave today without God dealing with you. Maybe you want to come up to the front and kneel, or maybe you want to just stay in your seat after we're dismissed and just spend time with the Lord. Maybe you want to come up and some people will pray with you and walk you through some of these things. But I encourage you to deal with God uh, when he's dealing with you. Amen. Father, thanks for this word today. We love you. We honor you. I thank you that you are just, that you're fair, that you play no favorites. So you treat us all the same. There's the same consequence for sin for all of us. But you've also, in your kindness, delayed that consequence so that we could encounter you, so that we could repent, so that we could turn to you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be watchful for that day is coming. I pray that we would be a people who would live expecting that day. Not crazily getting off the grid, but living our lives because it's going to be business as usual up until that day. Living our lives representing you and your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.